0: My friends, in this video, I'm going to share the six biggest mistakes that I've made with my rheumatoid arthritis since I was diagnosed almost 17 years ago. So, I've had a lot of experience over those years in what to do, uh, but also I've made some mistakes along the way that have cost me a lot of cartilage, a lot of heartache, a lot of pain, a lot of sleep. And uh, I'm going to share with you today those six things, big mistakes that I made, with the intention that you may not make those mistakes again or if you're currently making these current mistakes <laughs> that perhaps you might want to make some strategy adjustments so the first one was way back at the start when I was first diagnosed and let me set the scene I also tore my left knee ACL uh playing football the same week I was diagnosed and so I had a massive swollen left knee from the ACL tear to begin with let alone the impact and quick onset of my rheumatoid factor positive, anti-CCP positive, seropositive inflammatory arthritis with CRP markers in the 50s. Okay, so huge inflammation, very aggressive disease, fast onset, straight to the knee. And then big mistake, number one, here we go, is I took high dose non-steroidal and inflammatory drugs And when I took those upon prescription from the doctor, I then felt immediate relief and thought, all I need to do is to keep taking these drugs for the rest of my life, and I'm going to be fine, because my pain is gone, ladies and gentlemen, Uh, only to find that by about the third or fourth day, I needed to take a little more than what I needed on day one to get complete pain relief, and then by week two... I needed to take a lot more to get the same degree of pain relief. And then at the end of the third week, I thought, hang on a second. I'm taking like twice as much drugs here to get the same relief. And on the packet, it says, do not take for more than 14 days. And I'm on 21 days and I'm actually taking a lot more now. I wonder what would happen if I stopped where is my actual levels at? And I stopped taking those non-steroidal inflammatory drugs. And the next day, the true nightmare of this disease became evident, because at that point, I realized, oh my God, I'm now in absolute agony. And now, without these drugs, uh, I'm way worse than what I was before taking these drugs. So I had been on a on a sort of a platform of pain of around about a four, five out of ten. Oh gee, that's generous. Probably more like a six or seven. And then I took the painkillers which dropped that right down to like zero, one. And then after they stopped working and 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 I tested where I was at, I was at like an eight or nine. And that eight or nine stuck with me from that point onwards. And so my big mistake number one was thinking that non steroidal anti inflammatory drugs were going to be a long-term solution and being completely unaware of the negative impact that they have on inflammatory arthritis. And so that was a huge error. And at most, anyone should only be taking a small dose of non-steroidal and inflammatory drugs. And if they're needed each day, then other things need to be put into place to reduce the dependency on having to take them every day read the packet yourself it'll say on the packet that you're taking if you are do not take for more than x many days okay so that was big mistake number one big mistake number two is i delayed methotrexate by a year instead of starting it straight away and let me just add that these particular mistakes that i'm listing here are not in Order of biggest impact and worst decisions. They're just in chronological order. All right. So, my second big mistake was not starting methotrexate soon enough. And the reason for this decision is because I thought, with the determination, resourcefulness, and commitment I had to this project in my mind, I should be able to get results on it despite all the evidence, all the people's opinions telling me that. Uh, I have to take the drugs and I am only going to get worse and no one has ever improved with diet and all this stuff. It's right. So I had, I had all of this sort of, you can't do it. And I had tremendous amounts of, yes, I can do it, but I had absolutely zero strategy. I had zero strategy. I knew none of the science. I was as naive as you could possibly be. When I was told I got the disease, I didn't know what rheumatoid arthritis was and I'd never heard of it couldn't spell it, and so therefore I was basically just maximum enthusiasm, zero knowledge. So I, under those circumstances, should have followed medical advice, because how can you expect to become the best at something when you are starting from zero and you've got all this inflammation? That was attacking, particularly the left knee, and then progressed into my fingers, wrists, jaw, chest, ankles, feet you name it, except my hips and shoulders. So I should have taken the medication. What I now know, and this is crucial for everyone, doesn't matter where the inflammation is in your body, systemic inflammation correlates to inflammation at the intestinal lining. And the greatest cause of leaky gut is inflammation at the intestinal lining the gut wall is hypersensitive to inflammation and so if we're running high CRP markers you have leaky gut there's just it's 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 non-debatable okay and we likewise know that the reverse is true and that leaky gut the greater amount of leaky gut corresponds with more inflammation and i guess you can look at it as like a a two-way street. You can't have a mutually exclusive situation there. I didn't know any of this. I postponed. Uh, I got lots of tremendous amounts of, of pain. Joint damage in that first 12 months on the left knee was substantial and should have went on the methotrexate sooner. There is no counterproductive impact on healing by taking methotrexate. If we want to get into the nitty-gritty, yes, there are some additional challenges with it that, we are, that that many of you are aware of with taking that or other disease-modifying drugs. But in my view, if you're on a mission that's going to be a long-term strategy towards maximum health and minimum symptoms and you're inflamed, you've got to get it under control and a, and a drug uh, assists you doing that as long as it's not one that is counterproductive to gut health. So that was big mistake number two. Big mistake number three. When my left elbow became inflamed, I didn't move it. So number three is not moving an inflamed joint. My left elbow started to get involved and it became one of the more problematic joints that I've ever had. So left knee, left elbow. They were my absolute nightmares. What I used to do in efforts to reduce the inflammation in my left elbow are something out of like films i used to like jesus tied uh, sorry uh, nailed to the cross i used to tie my wrists to poles either side of the bed when i fell asleep so that i would avoid rolling onto my elbows during the night not just due to the agony of the elbow when i would roll onto it and because i couldn't sleep accordingly because of the pain but because it would noticeably set me back the next Morning. You you wouldn't even say morning. You would say by the time I got out of bed because I was awake so much during the night because of the pain. And this is by the way, whilst I was on methotrexate uh, at maximum twenty-five milligram a week tablet dose. So, what I was told by the medical advice that I that I sought was, don't move it if it hurts. You know, obviously if it's if it's in pain, then you should not uh, exacerbate that pain, and. That is officially the worst advice that I've ever been given. So that elbow ended up in surgery uh, just four years after diagnosis, and I had what's called a synovectomy, which is the removal of all the synovial tissue inside the joint. It's a long recovery period. It's very, very uh, disruptive. I couldn't drive my car after that for six weeks. I mean, I couldn't do anything. Uh, My wife was a caretaker while I was... You know, uh, recovering from surgery. And of course, other joints then start to worsen because you're not moving, you're not going to yoga or whatever your mechanism of exercise is. And you just feel miserable and have to take painkillers for a while. So that was big mistake number three is not moving my joint. By contrast, the right elbow started to get inflamed as well not long after that. In fact, it was inflamed uh, during the surgery of the left elbow because. When I had my discharge meeting with the surgeon after the uh, sort of the follow-up meeting to check on it after a few weeks after surgery, he looked at me and deadpan said, I will see you for the next elbow. I'll see you for the other one, he said. And so I thought to myself, the last thing in the world that I want, I got toothpaste here. <laughs> I got toothpaste here on my lips. The kids brushed my teeth before with the electric toothbrush and it became a bit of a fun thing. And I just saw the video. I looked at myself here and I've got toothpaste on my lip. Um, so, the other, uh, the, the right elbow, I, saw, I thought, there's no way that I'm going to end up, I, I, I never want to see that guy again, right? He did a fantastic job on the surgery, but my mission was to never see that guy again, the surgeon. I didn't want to go through that process again because obviously that's a disastrous disease management strategy. This goes getting surgery, right? And so uh, what did I do? I went like crazy moving the right elbow because if not moving it is the worst advice on the planet, then maybe moving it a lot might just happen to be the best thing I could do. And that's what I did. I would uh, do a thousand elbow pumps a day, which is you just bend over at the waist, uh, engage your lower back and uh, just move your arms back and forth as if you're sort of running, but on the spot. And uh, i, I that's an invention of mine. I used to do that walking up and down the the, the, uh, the corridors on cruise ships. I used to do it back at uh, back at, at, at I used to work a lot on cruise ships. And I used to do it at the, in the corridor or at my apartment complex, uh, up and down our little apartment, or even on the spot. And when I needed to, uh, and I was in a public space, like performing at... Uh, uh, corporate events and things. I would go to the bathroom, do a hundred elbow pumps uh, before going back out and going back on stage and doing my thing. So I was just keeping those elbows. That was number one. But what else did I do? I I, I started to train those elbows, and so that moves on to to point number four. A big mistake. Now it took too long to do this with the knee, and too long to do this with the with the right elbow, and of course the left. And big mistake number four is this not using resistance training as my modality for exercise earlier. So for most of this time, I was doing Bikram yoga. And Bikram yoga has a tremendous list of benefits, uh, which includes detoxification of pesticides and heavy metals because sweating is a preferred pathway of eliminating those particular unwanted aspects of our health. It it enables strength building, flexibility. It can increase antioxidant enzymes. Um, It uh, is—it's definitely a cardiovascular workout, so you become fitter. There's a lot of benefits to it. Uh, Also, the deep breathing, the pranayama at the start of class is very good for parasympathetic nervous system activation, which is calming. Again, vagal vagal nerve stimulation—all this stuff, very, very good. However, if you only do that. For a year and a half, which is what I did, in missing out on some therapeutic benefits from doing resistance training. So, in the book that I am finalising, in the book, my recommendations now around exercise are that resistance training is compulsory, okay, and other exercises such as Bikram or other sorts of yoga formats whether it be Pilates, and you've got Pilates, you've got swimming, stationary bike or regular bike and uh, uh, just rowing machine, different forms of exercise, running if you can. All of these things are great but not compulsory whereas the resistance training must be compulsory. That's because the tendinitis around the joints needs to be engaged for that to be reduced In its in to reduce inflammation in the tendons, right? Engaged muscle tissue produces anti-inflammatory molecules that have the same pathway. Would you believe as the JAK inhibitors, uh, those form of uh, of um, tablet-based biologic drugs, and the studies on this are exciting, and so i found this practically, is that as soon as I'm doing resistance training on my elbows and, and also doing resistance training on my knee, uh, that I was able to see faster progress than what I'd been getting from every single day attending Bikram Yoga. So Bikram Yoga has its place, and for many of you, if you're doing it, I'm not, I'm not suggesting it's not sensational but maybe add some resistance training as well. Take a day off, alternate it, right? Just mix it up. Get some targeted resistance training through the joints that are affected, and this will serve you, I promise you. Uh, number five is I should have got a cortisone shot in my left knee much earlier. I persisted and persisted and persisted at yoga and most of my joints showed tremendous improvement over that time but the left knee just remained swollen and stiff and had very limited range of motion and i kept going and going and going and going and just thought it's maybe improving just a tiny bit keep at it keep at it keep at it and then after 12 months of of that because i did something like 360 yoga classes in a year or didn't miss many days And then I had a cortisone shot in the knee, and suddenly it was like every single door opened for that knee, and then I was fine on that left knee for another 10 years, (laughs) right? And I used resistance training after that, some bicycles, uh, getting on the stationary bike, and doing uh, uh, squats and uh, lunges, walking lunges and things like this, and that proved to be far more effective, but only after the cortisone shot had been put into the knee to give me a playing platform that wasn't impossible. The knees develop this closed loop of inflammation. A Baker cyst forms in there, swelling comes up over the top of the knee, the range of motion gets restricted, muscle wastage sets in, and it's a damn nightmare to try and get rid of that without any uh, other interventions like a cortisone shot I actually uh, there are strategies that I use to reduce the baker's cyst now and recommend and also to reduce the swelling uh, without cortisone shot and I've just put a new video inside the members area of many of the memberships that you have Patterson program, rheumatoid solutions or um, rheumatoid support. So inside there, uh, just go in and it's called Baker's Cyst, A Complete Overview. So watch that. If you're not a member of our program, make sure you join Life Changing. I promise you, there's no, nothing better you could do for your life. If you have inflammatory arthritis, become a member, get yourself sorted out. So the cortisone shot played a massive role. And if you aren't doing them regularly, Like if you've only ever had one or two cortisone shots and most of your body is okay except for one joint that won't respond, consider having it done because it's clear that that joint is a non-responder and the small impact of a cortisone injection on cartilage is tiny compared to the six, 12-month impact of doing nothing and letting that inflammation predictably break down the joint structure. All right, talk to your doctor about it if you're interested. And then finally, the last big mistake that I made with my rheumatoid arthritis is getting complacent. And I've told this story many times, so I won't do the long version of this, but basically I went to a restaurant and I hadn't had symptoms for years. And I went to a restaurant and it was late at night and the kids were screaming and it was Past their bedtime, and I was mad, and we didn't get serviced for very late. The whole thing was a nightmare. We ended up at this restaurant because the one we used to go to had been closed for renovations, and we didn't discover that until we showed up at it. Felt like we were stuck, and then drove another half an hour to another restaurant, and I ate a very very oily meal. Okay, and it had been like deep fried, deep fried food. The next day, got symptoms back and had to recover from that all over again, and it was non-trivial. It was hard to recover, and I never went back to baseline foods. So I did it all without having to change my my broad plant-based diet. I didn't revert back, and so, uh, and so, um, what happened was uh, the consequence of that meal was was catastrophic. Um, just the setback. It was just I uh, went through all of that process all over again and it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't have been complacent. It's better to skip a meal. Just don't eat one night. You're not gonna fade away. You're not gonna and nothing bad's gonna happen to you. Just go home, have some fruit, have a banana, or maybe have a bowl of oatmeal or something, even if it's ten o'clock at night. The impact of that's gonna be nothing compared to eating what I did, which was a huge like bowl like oh, a huge bowl like this of uh of deep fried potato wedges and this huge oily veggie burger, so tons of science onto the impact of that and i i um, I'm really enthusiastic to share all the science as to why a a one meal can have such a detrimental impact on health, but that's for another video, and for now, I want you to. Don't make any of the mistakes that I made. Don't do high doses of painkillers. Try and get off the painkillers. Don't delay medications that are designed for long-term inflammatory arthritis management, like methotrexate or sulfasalazine or plaquenil or even a rave, or if the doctor likes that drug or whatever. And these medications can reduce the symptoms enough, the inflammation enough, to stop that cyclic inflammation cascade. And reduce that inflammation at the gut wall, therefore reducing intestinal permeability, which means that everything else that you're doing therefore gains more leverage and can have more success. All right. You cannot heal with high inflammation levels. Okay. So, and then number three if a joint hurts, give it attention, give it movement, resistance training onto that joint. Make sure you do that. Reps equal relief. Okay. And strength building around a joint is anti inflammatory in itself all right and then get resistance training in your picture if you're not doing resistance training you're just walking maybe you're swimming okay yeah good 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 love it keep it up you're a champion but make sure if this if a specific joint hurts that joint gets some resistance training if it's fingers uh then you know grab an overhead bar try and take some weight the resistance that isometric resistance while holding your weight will give those fingers a workout Uh, if it's knees, do some squats. If it's elbows, do some elbow punches with some resistance weights, lift some, lift some weights, doing some, uh, um, what are they called military press, whatever. All these guidelines are inside your materials. Okay. In your membership. Okay. Uh, and then not having a cortisone shot into the one non-responsive joint that I had in my body. And when I eventually got that done, it was like whole world opened up. All right. Opportunities opened up. And then finally, don't get complacent. You know, remember the life of pie metaphor. Life of pie, yeah? We're living with a wild animal here. And you can train over a very long and cautious period of time to live with that wild animal without it attacking you. You can get to the point where you're almost friends, okay? But if you go poking that stick at that wild animal again, that thing... Will immediately revert to its biological nature, which is to attack the crap out of you. Okay, so don't go poking the lion, don't go messing around. Remember, we have this condition, and even if it's quiet and you're living with it and you're in control, don't poke the lion. All right, love you guys. Hope this video is helpful. If you liked it, make sure you give me a thumbs up, post in the comments below. If you haven't subscribed, if you're on watching this on YouTube, please hit subscribe. Plenty of plenty more videos like this uh, in the past and in the future coming your way. And uh, thanks so much. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Rheumatoid Solutions. If you'd like to get more help to live an easier, healthier, and happier life, visit rheumatoidsolutions.com.